All right, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Nate. And this is Ryan. And today we are finishing up a conversation with Megan DeFranza. And Megan has a wonderful friend. Uh, she's been speaking about intersex and how she had a change of opinion in understanding uh, just what, how does intersex fit in her faith. And a part of that conversation is talking about knowing people who are experiencing these real life, um, these real life stories. And for her, uh, her friend is Leanne. Yeah, Leanne Simon is a partner with Megan DeFranza on their project Intersex and Faith. And Leanne has authored a number of books. She has her own website um, where she feels a particular calling to helping people of faith understand that um, God works beyond the traditional binary of just male and female. Um, She is a committed Christian and um, and she really sees this as her ministry. So on the first part of this episode, we'll list, we'll finish our conversation with Megan, and then we'll be joined with Leanne in the second part of today's show. Uh, inside of what Nathan said too is the idea that we have um, certain. That we have an, and Megan, you mentioned this, that there's an idea, a physical ideal that gets projected on all of us, not just our genitals, but our whole bodies, our skin color, our hair texture. Um, and that um, I, well, and I'll, and I can imagine that for people who are Christian or grew up in church who have, who were probably told that on some level, sexual desire is always wrong. (laughs) You know, you have this sort of ingrained sort of sexual shame stuff going on that to say, to have here, and I'll just, maybe I'll just confess it for myself to hear Nathan say, uh, and I'm, I'm sure he was referring to non exploitative, uh, uh, erotic content, including people of various, body types um (laughs) that that uh yeah that that even moved that that's it tests us and our inclusivity and love for one another and accepting one another when you say you when nathan says um you can be you can be beautiful and the object of sexual desire, even though your body doesn't align with um, what our culture says is um, normative or ideal. So now I'll shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that you raised the issue of exploitation and non-exploitation because we do know that um, a lot of porn does come from uh, exploitation um, the exploitation of people, uh, often children and others. So we, we do have to be careful there. I, I, surprisingly, I think one of the best things I read on this was from Pope John Paul II and his theology of the body. You might not think he'd write on porn, but he does. And he talks about that there's a difference between admiring the beauty, you know, say of a, of a naked person and a beauty that draws you to them 
in a personal way, um, as opposed to the nakedness of another that draws you to treat them as an object. And I think Nathan said, you know, we can, there can be these fetishes in the world. And in the ancient world, they used to make eunuchs by capturing boys, infants, castrating them, and then raising them to be these exotic living sex slaves. Um, castrati, they were called, they were super expensive and they were exploited, <laughs> um, trafficked uh, in the ancient world as they, as they can still be today. So there's, there is this fine line between the beauty of humanity that, and that sexual beauty that does draw us to another person in their humanity and that kind of objectifying. And I think with intersex people, like with everyone else, male and female, you know, we have to recognize the difference between those two. But I do think at, at its heart, recognizing that beauty comes in so many different forms and shapes and sizes is something that's liberating for all of us, including myself. Um, yeah. So. Well, and there's a paradox. So yeah, I don't know how to say this, so I might have to say it a couple times and use the one on the show that works best. <laughs> you, in the New Testament, we have uh, there. We have this debate about um, do do men need to be circumcised in order to be Christian? And so there, in and in, in Sunday school, we we sort of gloss over that, right? We might read it really fast, or this, you know, and it's, you know, it's the circumcision of the heart, not the circumcision of the penis. But there's a lot of genital talk if. From a man's perspective, of uh, so, I, and then yet yeah, on the other hand, it's a topic we. I mean, it's not appropriate conversation necessarily. That's not good. Southern. Uh, I'm sitting in Atlanta, Georgia, right now. It's not good southern. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good southern manners, right, to to bring up genitals at the table. Um, but there is this. There is this conversation about what is the genital ideal and what does it represent mm -hmm. in reference to your relationship to God and the community of people who are trying to follow God. Wow. And, and it's re and you see you and it's the debate, right? Do the wow. do the the do the converts need to change their genitals mm -hmm. so that they can eat at the table with us? Dude, I am tripping out. I have never made that relation before. That makes, whoa, wow. I, I, I don't have anything else to say, really. I'm just sitting here, just kind of making this connection here. 10 points for yeah, Ryan. It's a big deal in scripture. Um, I think this is why the rabbis ended up with more terms, because they debated how big does it have to be to circumcise it? Um, and you can find commentary from early centuries through the medieval period <laughs> to today of rabbis talking about these things. Um, so wow. the move from circumcision to baptism as the sign of inclusion in the community is, of course, inclusive of everyone, finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a big shift. Um, as far as, well, what's the, what is the mark? Well, when you're baptized, you are, you know, 
baptized into Christ's death, raised in many traditions, the, the sign of the cross is made on the head to say, you are now marked as Christ's own forever, that this mark is a different kind of mark. And it's not one that's marked on your genitals and just the genitals of those who have certain parts that are big enough to be cut. Wow. We, <laughs> go ahead, Nate. What, this makes me want to measure my faith. <laughs> well, I can't help to. I can't help it. Okay, we're, let's keep going. We okay. We we've stumbled into a conversation about the size of a penis. Yes, and we have. I, I, Theologically, in regards to our in, in regards to um, theology and, and and God and everything. Yes. Well, to that uh, we there is a way. What I'm, the, the thought that is coming to me is that by um, an antidote for, so in a hyper-consumeristic and hyper-image conscious world that, will, that shames our bodies on magazine covers and, um, you know, has, you know, uh, uh, slogans, um, you know, articles in Cosmo about the size matter and that sort of, of, of approach to sexual discussion. Um, I, it's easy for me to imagine the idea of intersex being normative as being pretty difficult for no, I'm not trying to say it doesn't fit intersex. Mm -hmm. The intersex conversation deconstructs a lot of our um, body image um, ideals, and and opens up a conversation for what truly do it. What is it about another person that makes us? Uh, conversations about attraction, about loveliness, about bonding, about um, about the true nature of a relationship. Um, because you can, by putting, gosh, I'm not explaining this well at all. By putting aside the Cosmo article, I there's no way I'm going to be able to edit that into anything articulate. <laughs> so, Megan, you probably have been thinking about this. So, well, if, um, if, before Megan responses, I think I know what you're meaning. It's kind of like. Uh, the issue of intersex presents a gender spectrum, whereas before we saw it as man or woman. So as soon as we accept the possibility of a gender spectrum, by default, we are, we're putting ourselves in it. And that is where we, that just allows so much more for us to consider about ourselves. It's, it's pretty damn scary. Um, and it hits all those points you're saying, like love, you know, identity, beauty, sexuality. Um, that's, that's my response. Me Megan, what, what do you think? of what Ryan was saying? Well, two things I'm thinking of is, one, it's important that we recognize that um, intersex bodies aren't always um, noticeable in the genitals. Sometimes they're, they look like typical male genitals or typical female genitals, but there's something else inside the person's body that is different. Um, so people with XY chromosomes and testes, which is typical for boys, if their cells can't absorb testosterone and other androgens, 
their body on the outside is going to look normally female. And mm-hmm. at puberty, their body's going to convert that testosterone into usable estrogen, and they're going to have secondary sex characteristics, breast development, widening of hips, etc., according to female categories. So here's one where you look female on the outside, but more male on the inside, according to your chromosomes and your gonads, right? So let's not, again, be so focused on the genitals that we are in some ways fetishizing intersex identities that are much more diverse than that. So that's the first thing I want to say, more as a matter of clarification. Secondly, the idea of a spectrum, I think, does blow people's minds and open our categories in really new ways. But I often hear this debate. It's a spectrum. No, it's a binary. No, it's a spectrum. No, it's a binary. And the more I've studied the literature, I'm convinced that it's both. And what I mean by that is that in statistics, we can see what's the majority pattern and what isn't. And that often shows up in a bell curve, looks like a little hill, um, a sloping hill. Well, when you have a pattern for two, you have two bells. So imagine two little hills next to each other that cross at the bottom. And that's your typical male pattern, your typical female pattern. Um, but along the bottom, if you focus on the bottom, you see it's a spectrum from hypermasculinity all the way to effeminacy to your tomboy and then all the way over to the hyperfeminine side of the spectrum. But it's the reason these hills or bell curves are important is because the majority is where you get the height on the bell curve. So it's in this debate over spectrum versus binary, sometimes people who emphasize the spectrum aren't honest about the fact that the spectrum is not evenly distributed all the way across. There are majority patterns, which is why most cultures recognize male and female as the majority categories. Other cultures have additional categories for those who don't fit those. Um, and then people on the binary side aren't always honest about, well, all of these little variations, even though they're minority, they still matter. So um, yes, the whole spectrum idea will blow people's minds, but even in that, we need to be honest about how we talk about it. Um, and I find that kind of going right through that debate and saying, you're both right, <laughs> it's a spectrum <laughs> and it's a binary, um, can sometimes help us just think more carefully about how we talk about these things. Let's take a break. This is Ryan with Touch Podcast, and we want you to know how much we appreciate all of our listeners out there. We know that some of the topics we have on the show can be a little sensitive and so we're really grateful that many of you have shared our podcast on social media and that you're sharing it privately with friends specific episodes and we've gotten lots of emails from folks who have who really resonate with the stories that are told by our guests and the direction we're going with um, helping people find healing and wholeness on the topic of shame in this first season of touch podcast but it's not free. We've got a few dollars here to spend, a few dollars there to spend. And so this is your opportunity, ladies and gentlemen. It's like the NPR fund drive. This is the Touch Podcast fund drive. So right now, if you go to www.patreon.com slash touchpodcast, 
you will see a nifty little site there where you can be a supporter of Touch Podcast. So, um, yeah, we're just sharing this experiencing experience with you and appreciate you joining the ride. And to have more space like this, uh, maybe we can use these resources to, to continue the conversation. So, thanks again for considering. The story of Leanne's life is really poignant, and we're not able to tell all of it here. But we're going to give you as much as we can in this episode of Touch Podcast. Yes, and when we did do this interview, uh, what I found really compelling is not just the things she says, but the things that are not said in between the scenarios that she's that she's speaking about. So um, take the time as we get into this, like let let your mind sink in. Uh, to the pictures and the scenarios that she draws because these are real things that uh, that some of us have to go through to understand our own sexuality and just where we fit in this world as uh, being creators of the divine. And we are starting part two of our discussion of intersex and the Bible and faith. And we have Leanne here with us of Intersex and Faith, who works in helping people with faith make room for those born outside the male-female binary. Intersex is what we say for short, but that really can mean, as we heard in the last episode, that really can mean a lot of different things, um, from the way um, our body processes hormones to the genetics of uh, you know, in 10th grade, we all learned that there were two X's across the top of the square and XY across the bottom. And when XX and XY combine, you only get XY, XY twice and XX, XX twice. So male and female. But in real life, that's not always what happens. Um, so we're talking about intersex and faith in the Bible. And we're here with Leanne um, Simon. Leanne, thank you so much for being on Touch Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, I, I have a condition called mixed gonadal dysgenesis, which um, means that some of my cells have a Y chromosome and others don't. That resulted in um, a mix of gonadal tissue types, but it also resulted in a number of medical issues. So when I was young, I was so tiny and frail that my parents worried about losing me. I also had a pixie face because um, of my small jaw. So what I knew was that I was um, the smallest in my peer group and that um, I had spatial deficits so that I couldn't do sports or things like that. Um, I played primarily with girls, but part of that was um, I tended to get hurt when I played with boys because I, I just wasn't up to very much rough and tumble play. As long as I was that frail, my parents didn't worry too much about gender. So um, there weren't very many things that were off limits to me. Um, you know, when I asked my mom to teach me to sew, um, she was fine with that. Right. Um, and were you being raised male or female? I was being raised male without any, well, without very many um, caveats. My 
parents wouldn't let me have long hair because they said I'd look like a girl. Mm. Um, they didn't punish me for wearing my mom's dresses, but um, they clearly weren't happy about it. M my mother was a nurse, and um, from the time I was perhaps five years old, she handled all of my medical care. Um, you oh. know, except for stitches and um, broken bones, that sort of thing. And I didn't actually see a doctor until an emergency appendectomy in college. Um, my parents, um, we had no nudity in the home other than when my younger brother and sister were like a year old playing out in the sprinklers and stuff like that probably right. two years old. Um, so, you know, genital shape wasn't a big thing for me. Um, I was much more affected by um, the shape of my face to the point where I thought maybe that I had been left, that I was half elf and left in place of a human baby. So that... Oh. Um, my parents just didn't know that. And yeah, those are the so, kinds of things, you know, kids are trying, in their imagination, are trying to sort of make sense of what is what. And in the first novel I wrote, um, the main character sees, instead of seeing her reflection, she sees an elfin princess. And Ooh. that was basically where I was at growing up. And... I wanted to be a mother and a wife and all those sorts of things and just didn't quite understand why my parents didn't get it. Mm. You know, I didn't I didn't know enough about human anatomy to know that I was that different. You know, it's not like it's not like my sister and I explored each other's um, genital. Well, you know, puberty was a rough time for me because um, the boys were getting muscles and growing big and some of them starting to get facial hair and the girls were um, starting to, to change shape and I wasn't doing either. So mm -hmm. as, as time went by, I became more and more the outsider, at least in my own mind. I, for a long time, I thought that if I prayed hard enough and um, tried hard enough that God would make me a real boy. Mm. And um, since he didn't, my assumption was that there was some lack in me that was resulting not only in um, this desire to have, to be pregnant, but also um, that was making my body not like the boys. Mm. Um, and, and, and I never quite connected the dots um, for a long time. When, when did these dots start to connect? Um, when I was in, well, I should probably um, back up and, and talk about what what drove a lot of this okay when, when I was in um, when I was um, 
five or six years old, maybe seven or eight, I went to vacation Bible school. And I asked the lady so many questions that she took me aside and went through Bible stories and talked about Jesus. And um, I decided that I wanted to be a good little girl and obey my parents and just do what was right. I didn't really understand the gospel at that point. And in high school, there was a Christian boy who tried to be my friend. Um, and, you know, he could have, <clears throat> he could have pointed out that I hung out with the girls, but never dated any of them, or that the one boy that I did hang out with, I hung out with entirely too much. Um, had he known um, that, that I was still at that age wearing dresses and stuff, that um, he could have condemned me for any of that. Instead, he urged me toward um, childlike faith in Jesus. And as a result, I went to a Southern Baptist mission and talked to the pastor, and he quoted a bunch of Romans verses and said, would you like to in, in ask Jesus into your heart? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, it, um, you, had you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah. And because of that, I assumed that um, I could become the young man that everyone seemed to think I should be. Wow. And um, what happened instead was that the, um, <clears throat> the mask that I had created to be able to function socially crumbled. Um, the Lord wanted me to be the same person on the inside that it was on the outside. And I had assumed that um, that meant becoming a young man, and he meant it as a, basically a reset in my life. So I, f I felt like my skin had been stripped off of me. And in my infinite wisdom decided that I had to get away from the house, away from my parents, away from all these kids at school. Um, and I got a scholarship, so I moved 1,200 miles away into a boy's dorm. Um, if you're intersex and not really aware of it or not knowing how to engage with males, it's not the best idea. Um, that's when I started to realize just how different my body was. Um, they made it clear that I wasn't one of them. Um, you know, they did things like scratch little queen on my door or um, suggest that I wasn't male or suggest that maybe I should have sex with them. And one of the boys proved that he could do whatever he wanted, um, not, not rape, but at least not under the definition that I had back then, but um, every time I ceased 
every time I stopped resisting him, he would he would stop doing what he was doing. But it was always clear that he he would be back again. Um, to get away, I um, spent a lot of time in a in a warehouse that was on campus that was abandoned, or I thought was abandoned, and. Um, someone from the school came in one day while I was studying and um, I just happened to be um, wearing a dress at the time and they asked for my ID and I got sent to the Dean and the Dean said you will either undergo whatever therapy our psychologists suggest or you can leave. Unfortunately, we have to pause it right there. A huge thanks to Leanne Simon. We're going to hear more from her, more about her story later this summer. I know we've left a cliffhanger right there, but we'll be back. On the second half of the conversation with Leanne, we'll hear more about her faith and the journey she had to take to integrate what was going on with her body, with doctors, and with the Bible. You can hear more about Leanne's story at intersexandfaith.org. They are working on a documentary. If you go to Projects, you can go down and you can watch uh, a preview of that documentary. And a special thanks to Dr. Megan DeFranza, who has really opened our eyes and our hearts on a subject that is not difficult to talk about, is not easy to research, and as Leanne is teaching us, not at all uh, easy to live. Thank you all so much. We're eternally grateful. Thank you for listening to Touch Podcast. Don't forget to donate because you'll love us. You can also connect with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Our our, our handle is touch underscore cast. You can go to touchpodcast.com, listen to episodes, see videos, listen to other things that might be said that are just other kinds of things. <laughs> world <laughs> we cover it all here and touch podcasts <laughs> there's a, you can yes order uh you get discount on baby diapers yeah <laughs> come to touch podcast where we talk about things and you can listen to them yeah and co- upcoming episodes of touch, touch podcast we're going to be veering off the trail a little bit We'll be hearing from Christina Kincaid, a conversation with Nathan Navarro. We'll learn more about this tantra he keeps uh, mentioning from time to time. We're finally going to let him have a guest on and actually talk about that kind of stuff. We've got other guests coming up. Uh, Bill Staten, Dr. Bill Staten is going to be... Now, that is going to be the NC-17 episode. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and much more. Yeah, and if you want to hear full up full versions of some of the stuff that got left on the cutting room floor of that one, more reason to donate to Touch Podcast. It gets crazy. It really Your does. donations to Touch Podcast are not tax deductible. This is not a 501c3. There are other fast things I could say, but I'm not going to say anything else. Thank you for supporting Touch Podcast. The responsibility of the thoughts, opinions, and research expressed on the Touch Podcast 
lie completely on the person speaking. 